ask you, if you would, to turn to, we'll start, we're going to look at a couple of passages, we're going to look at several passages, but you can turn in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll begin there momentarily. I've got, got a little bit we're going to do in way of introduction. title of the message this morning is, Winning Souls is Greater Than Winning Gold. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, as I was thinking on this title, I was thinking on this, this message of soul winning. That's where we've been kind of working through for the last four or five weeks and looking at, you know, anybody can be saved. We've talked about that. Anybody can be saved. And we looked at how we should be shaking up the world as believers. We ought to be turning the world upside down. And, and, and so we went through this process and we looked at the gospel last week and uh, just really kind of walk through the gospel. But uh, this week, we're, we're going to talk about, begin, as we continue this series, this thought of winning souls, the importance of witnessing and sharing our faith and winning people to Christ. And so the, 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 the thought come up about, you know, I see these people winning these gold medals. And listen, I, I want to say this. I know a lot of people did not watch the Olympics this year. And they were, they, were, they were boycotting the Olympics because of the woke Olympics. They were woke Olympics. You know what? I didn't watch one woke event. Because I've got a channel. I can turn the channel, and I turned off the, 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 the team that was, you know, they're, they're just all about um, LGBTQ rights and all this stuff. They're all about promoting that, and, and I, I didn't watch them. But I did see they lost, so I, I kind of rejoiced in that. I'm sorry. I'm rooted against my Americans. But um, there are some things that are, are, are more important than American, and that's holiness and righteousness. And look, so I know a lot of you turn to the Olympics office. I'm not watching that stuff. Folks, if we disconnect from everything in this world that is woke or we're going to miss everything. We're just going to crawl under a rock and Christ hadn't called us to do that. And so if you missed it, I, man, that's, you're lost because I loved it. I spent two weeks uh, with all the stress and the things that are going on. I could go home at 8 o'clock, turn on TV, and I could watch some really cool competition and some events. And I saw some neat things. If you like competition, there were some neat things. Like this first one, this is Tamara Mensa Stock. How many of you, anybody see that? Did anybody see her? Anybody hear her? I mean, if that, uh, if that didn't get you fired up, look, as an American, that ought to get you fired up. She was so grateful. She said this, she said, of course, I, I surprised myself. A jubilant Mensa Stock told reporters after the victory, it's by the grace of God I'm even able to move my feet and I just leave it in his hands. And then she went on to say, it feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I love that. She said, add something in there. I'm not going to say, and it wasn't profanity, but it's close enough. She said, I love living here. I love it. And I am so happy to get to represent USA. All you red-blooded Americans ought to be eating that up. You know, you want to you you turn everything else off because somebody painted their hair purple and turn it off then. Man, don't miss out on this stuff. Then there's this one. There was Sydney McLaughlin. Man, she fires me up. So she is a two-time Olympian. She's a world record holder. And she's an Olympic champion this time. Pastor Aaron, you'll like this. She went to the University of Kentucky. I guess you probably knew that, didn't you? She's a wildcat. And so let me, let me tell you what she said. This is what she said. She said, let me start off by saying... What an honor it is to be able to represent not only my country, but also the kingdom of God. What I have in Christ is far greater than what I have or don't have in life. I pray my journey may be a clear depiction of submission and obedience to God. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when it doesn't seem possible. 
He will make a way out of no way, not for our own gratification, but for his glory. I have never seen God fail in my life, in anyone's life for that matter. Just because I may not win every race or receive every one of my heart's desires does not mean God has failed. His will is perfect, and he has prepared me for a moment such as this, that I may use the gifts he has given me to point all the attention back to him. Praise God. Don't you want to go back now and watch her run? You want to cheer for her. Her Instagram bio reads, Jesus saved me. She said, I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. She wrote after she set the world record in June, I don't deserve anything, but by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. Thank you, Father. Man, that's awesome. And there were story and story and story. How about this guy, Caleb Dressel? Did anybody see Caleb Dressel? Caleb Dressel only won five gold medals. I mean, Michael Phelps, everybody knows that name. You're going to know this name. He's a Florida Gator. Hey, I was rooting for a Florida Gator. Yeah, Caleb Dressel. He said, he said this, he said, he said that he, he really put, he said, I really just put all my trust in God and knowing that he's going to take care of everything for me, good or bad. He said, swimming is my life and I wouldn't want it any other way. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And God gave me the talent and I'm going to do that for him, for myself and my family and all my friends. Man, seemed like a great guy. He's got a big ego. I'm not a tattoo guy. I don't, I don't like tattoos. And if you got one, I don't, it ain't that I don't like you, but I just, I'm not a tattoo guy. But he's got a big old ego on his arm. The more I learned about him, that comes from Isaiah, what is it, Isaiah 40, 31, I think. That, 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 they, that, uh, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with the wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. He said that's his favorite scripture. That's what he leans on. And so he got that eagle on his arm. And uh, man, it was incredible. And then there was this, this singer, singer, this swimmer, Tatjana, Tatjana Shonen, Shonen Maker. I don't know. I just butchered it. Sorry. Uh, but she's a South African swimmer, and she had Soli Dio Gloria on her cap with a, with a Jesus fish on there. And that means glory to God alone. And that's what she had on her cap. And, and swimming this, and she, and she, she wore the cap, um, and she won Olympic gold, breaking the world record for the women's 200-meter breaststroke. And uh, uh, so, I mean, what a, what a beautiful thing. You know, if I see that before, I'm probably rooting for her over the American because my allegiance goes first to God, amen, and somebody, the child of God. I, I used to get so mad when people in Georgia were against Mark Rick. Christians were against Mark Rick. I said, I don't care how many games the man wins. He's pouring into those young men's lives, and he's making a difference there eternally. That, that, that was, I mean, that's who I'm going to root for. I'm going to root for those believers. Then there's Allison Felix, who last night won another gold medal in the 4x400 relay. She won another medal. That's the 11th medal won in track and field. She's the most decorated track and field athlete for America ever. She just passed Carl Lewis, and y'all remember that name. Oh, I'm sorry. Y'all older.
older people remember that name. Us, us older folks remember Carl Lewis. Uh, but she, she, she has kind of the same thing. She talked about being a devout Christian. She grew up in a strong Christian home. She said, she said, I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior at a very young age. Ever since then, I've continually been striving to grow in my relationship with God. She said, I feel so blessed that God has given me the talent of running. My running is, is, a, is an amazing gift from God, and I want to use it to the best of my ability to glorify him. Folks, if y'all didn't watch this stuff, you missed so much good. It was so many amazing things that we watched. Now, that was, that was fun because, I, I mean, I wasn't going to let all the woke junk, and I like I said, I turned it off, and they did all the little specials and stuff, and I just turned off the ones that were woke and were sinful and that kind of stuff. I turned those things off, but I watched the other stuff, and I read a lot on the Internet about these people who love the Lord. And, are, and last night we were watching, and when they won the 4 by 400 relay, won gold, the four girls got in a circle, and they were praying together. They were praying together. And because two of the girls we've shown here were in that race. The other two girls, best I can tell, they know the Lord as well. And so it's amazing to see these followers of Christ, he's put on that platform, and they're out there, they're winning gold, man. They're out there winning these medals. They're competing and doing great things and put in a platform where they can profess their faith. I think that's an amazing thing. It was a lot of fun. But here's the deal. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen. And while those things are neat, what I love is they said, win or lose, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do this for the glory of God. And if I get a medal, that's great. And if I don't, but you could tell with several of these, they're, they're, they, this is what I'm doing because God made me, gave me this ability, gave me this talent. I'm going to use it for his glory. Uh, it's like Eric Little, the, the, the British runner years ago that made the movie Chariots of Fire about him. He went on to be a missionary, but his sister was like, why are you still doing all this and running? He told her this. He said, God has called me to the mission field. He's made me a preacher. I'm going to go preach the gospel, but God also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. You know, when we use the things God has given us, we feel his pleasure. When, when we utilize those gifts, and some of us are sitting in here this morning that can sing. Some of you are sitting here with gifts that you're, you're sitting on. You're sitting on that gift that God's given you, and you're missing, you're missing the joy that comes with using what God has given you for his glory. I can't imagine how those girls felt and how these guys felt as they won these medals. You could see it on the one girl. You don't have to wonder about her. And she was just in tears at the, 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 the awesomeness of winning that gold medal and representing the United States. It was incredible. But listen, only what is done for Christ will last. And this last picture I want to show you, I don't know anything about this man. But I went on, I wanted to find somebody who had won a medal that has passed. And this man had died, I think it was in 2010 that he died. But in 1960, this man, Rayford Johnson, won the gold medal in the decathlon. He won the gold medal. Rayford Johnson in 2010, if that's the right date, and I think that's the right date, he died in 2010. In 2010, Rayford Johnson went off into eternity. His medal is still here. That medal will be here as long as this earth's here, it's going to probably be here. I mean, some of them may, but it's going to be here. But at some point, that medal is going to burn up, it's going to be gone, it'll no longer exist. That man's soul will exist forever. And it's going to exist forever, forever in a real place called heaven 
where he's in the presence of God Almighty, or he's going to exist in a real place called hell, where he will exist for all time. We looked at that last week. There is a real place called hell. And the only thing that matters, you can win all these medals, and maybe your competition's not medals. Maybe it's, maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's the position that you get in life. Maybe it's the prominence or the power or you know, the recognition or whatever it may be in life. It ain't going to last. All that is going to matter is what we do with Jesus Christ in this life. And the moment this life is over, nothing else matters but what we did for Jesus. And at that point, it's set. It's sealed. It's final. It's done. And it's eternal. And so it's so important. So that's what we're going to look at this morning is, is this idea of winning souls being, being greater than winning gold, okay? So many people would say that the Apostle Paul was the greatest Christian of all time. We, we've always heard that. I don't know how you gauge that. I mean, he's, he wrote, uh, you know, the majority of the New Testament. He did, Paul did incredible things. He was greatly used of God. I don't know how you figure that out. I think it's like the debate today on different, you know, is LeBron James better than Michael Jordan? Psst, come on, come on. We can tell the younger guys, they, they all like the LeBron guy. I don't like LeBron at all, period. I don't like anything about him. And uh, so it probably, it probably affects my view on whether he's better than Michael Jordan. But Michael Jordan's the greatest. But it's that argument. How do you argue who's greater? There are Christians who have done great, great, great things for God, who have been obedient unto death and all these things that we've never even heard their names. I don't, I don't know. But we say that, you know, so maybe he's the most decorated. You know, if you're going to put it in Olympic terms, Paul's the most decorated Christian of all time. But as Paul was about working about on his missionary journeys, what was Paul doing? Y'all tell, what was he doing? What was the event that he was out there doing, so to speak? Saving He was winning souls. He was out there winning souls. He was planting churches. He was witnessing to people. Paul was about winning souls. That's what he did. He was a soul winner. Man, he was a multi-time gold medalist in, gold, in soul winning. That's what he did. So Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Scripture tells us that. He that winneth souls is wise. Father, I pray that you'll bless now as we look into your word. So we look at the life of Paul. Maybe, maybe the greatest Christian that's lived. Maybe the greatest soul winner that's lived. I, I don't know, Lord, but I know he was great in those things and he was passionate and he lord i just pray that you would just speak uh, through his life through your word to our hearts this morning and may we learn something may we be challenged may we be encouraged may we be lord just pushed whatever it is you want to do in our hearts may we right now just submit ourselves to you and allow you to work and to do the work this morning that you desire to do in our hearts and lives, that we might be soul winners like Paul. Thank you, Lord. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, we're going to look at this, and this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 16. But we're going to look at Paul's mission statement. 
We're going to look at Paul's mission statement. You know, one of the things, in, in, if you're in corporate America at all, one of the things that they'll do a lot of times, you'll go through some classes or whatever, and they want you to establish a mission statement. Folks, as believers, we ought to have a mission statement in life. We ought to know what it is. Why do I exist? Why do I live? What am I, what am I trying to do in my life? Paul had a mission statement, and we're going to see his mission statement right here. Verse 16 says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe. Uh, is me if I do not preach the gospel. He said, I'm, i got to preach the gospel. It's what God's called me to do. It's what he's sent me out to do. It's laid upon me. I have to preach the gospel. Verse 19, for though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant of all that I might win the more. That's what he said, that I might win the more. Verse 20, and to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who were under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, and those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. Verse 22, to the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. Verse, uh, and the last part of verse 22, he says this, and this is Paul's mission statement. I believe this is his, this is his driving mission in life. He said, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Everything in, in Paul's life was driven through his mission statement was I'm going to become all things to all men that I might win some. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to submit everything in my life under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to give it all to him. And my goal is to go out and make as many disciples as I can. I want to win them to Christ. Verse, uh, verse 23 says, Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. My question then as we look at Paul's mission statement is, what is my mission in this short life? This life is short. Those of us who are getting older in years, a little longer in tooth, Cliff, um, we're, we're, it's life short, isn't it? You know, you young folks are going, oh man, you old people, you 30 and older, y'all just kick dirt on them, man. They're, they're half done anyway, just kick dirt on them. And there's a lot more past 30, hopefully, but it, you blink and it's gone. I blinked and Jordan's 21 and Jesse's back running sound and stuff and He's going to be 18 at the end of the year. I blinked. I'm going to blink again. And Jordan said the other day, he said, that's you in five or six years. There was kids running around. I went, hush, hush. But what's your mission? What's your mission in this short life? Is it to get a good job, make a lot of money, spend it all on yourself and do all these great things that you want to do? What's your mission in life? Is it for me or is it for the Lord? What's your mission? Number two, we see Paul's dedication to his mission. Verse 24 there in 1 Corinthians, verse 24 says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. In verse 25, And everyone who complete, uh, competes for the prize is temperate in all things. And you think about these Olympians, and I was thinking about all that they do, that, 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 that everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. They have set aside years. They have set aside years of their life in pursuit of these things. And, and so what they've done is they're temperate. That's self-control. There's things they do and don't do in, in the, the, the pursuit of doing that. And Paul's writing this. He says, now they do it to obtain 
obtain a perishable crown. That's one that won't last. It's something that's going to, you know, in the first Olympics, they put a laurel wreath around their head. They got a laurel wreath. They ran a, mar they ran a marathon, 26 miles, and they put a thing made of leaves around their head. I'm like, uh, what? Who's going to run a marathon to get some leaves put around their head? Then about an hour in the sun and they're withered up and they're dying and all that stuff. Hey, look, the crowns we get in this life, they're all perishable. And those who compete, they do all this sacrifice and all this work and all these things for all these years to achieve something that will not last. It's perishable. But we for an imperishable crown. And he says, what we pursue will last forever. What we pursue, our relationship with Christ is forever. The fruit of our, of our work is forever. The souls that are one to Christ live forever with him. It's an un, imperishable crown. There, therefore, he says, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. And verse 27 shows, it really captures his dedication. He says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. One of, those, one of the girls for the track, she won a medal this time, but in the Olympics, the last Olympics, she didn't qualify for the Olympics because she had a false start in one of the qualifying races. She was one of the fastest. She would have easily qualified, but she, she just, the discipline wasn't there. And she jumped the gun and was disqualified and didn't even make the qualifying run then to get into the race to go to the Olympics. She missed out on the Olympics because of that. So now for five years, her whole purpose has been per to pursue that. And for five years, she has disciplined herself so that she would not become disqualified. Look, they don't eat certain things. They control what they eat. They control what they drink. I promise you they're not running around smoking. They ain't got jewels. You know, they're not doing the, the stupid things that are destroying their bodies. They're temperate. They're controlling it. They watch what they do. They don't go certain places. Um, that They work hour upon hour, day after day, year after year, for a few seconds of competition to win something that will not last, and they will not take it with them. That's the discipline that athletes have. That's the dedication to them that they have, the dedication to their mission. And Paul says, look, he would, look, he's dedicated. He said, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. I want my body is going to listen. It's going to be submitted to the Lord, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul gave up his rights and his freedoms as a Christian, because we have rights and we have freedoms as Christians. There are freedoms and liberties I have as a believer. Paul set a lot of that aside. He set aside those things for the sake of those he was trying to win to the Lord Jesus Christ. His mission statement was to be all things to all people that he might win some. His dedication was that I'm going to, sub, sub, I'm going to discipline my body in a way that it is, man, I am not going to be disqualified. I'm not going to mess up so that I hurt others. He said, I am all about winning people. He was totally dedicated to this mission that he had of winning others to Christ. What is my level of dedication to the task the Lord has given me? What's your level of dedication this morning with the task the Lord has given you? Number three, Paul's sacrifice. You can turn to Philippians chapter three. We're going to look at a couple of different things here. In, in number three is Paul's sacrifice. Paul, Philippians three verses four through eight. Paul says this. He says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. And here, you know, you read this and it sounds like he's boasting. 
And he's talking about his past. He's talking about a time when he would have boasted, when he would have boasted about who he was and what he was and all he was and all he had. And he's talking about these people that boast their confidence in their flesh. He said, if it's about flesh, let me talk to you about confidence in the flesh. But that wasn't what he's doing here. What he says is, though, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone also thinks he may have, have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was, he was, man, he was like in the top of the line as, as a Jew, man, I'm the top dog. I'm in one of the great, I'm, I'm, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin and I'm, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law. He was a Pharisee. So he's a religious, very religious man concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He said, you want to talk about your passion, about your, your faith or whatever, your walk? Let me talk, tell you about me, man. My zeal, I was persecuting the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law. He said, according to the law, I'm trying to live out the law. I was blameless. Now, there's some arrogance there because nobody's blameless. Nobody, nobody fulfilled every bit of the law. When you look at the law, there was no way to fulfill all the law. There was no way at all. But Paul's going, I was blameless. Verse 7 here, though, he's going to talk about the sacrifice. Verse 7 and 8, he says, But what things were gained to me, these things I've counted loss for Christ. Paul was in a pretty good position. He had a pretty, he had a good position in, in, as a Pharisee. He was pretty, pretty set in life. He had a lot of high-powered friends, all those things. He said, but, the, but what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish or waste. Or sewage. That's what he thought of things. That's what he thought of the things he had in the past. He said, I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Look, Paul had a great career. He probably had a great income. He had security. He, had, he, lost, he lost those things. When he followed Christ, he lost those things. He lost friends. I'm sure he lost family over that. You're a Christian? You're following that way? Are you kidding me? He lost friends. He lost his fa family over that. He lost the power he had, the position he had, the popularity he had. Paul was a well-known man. He lost all those things. And he said, look, I count it all as rubbish. I count it all as loss. I don't even care that I might gain Christ. That was the sacrifice, and he really didn't even see it as a sacrifice. He gave up all those things, and it didn't bother him a bit. What are we willing to sacrifice for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord? What are we willing to sacrifice? You know, I meet a lot of Christians that they're glad they're going to heaven, but that's about the extent of it. You know what? I'm going to live my life my way. I'm going to do what's best for me because God wants me to be happy. That's a lie to pit of hell. God wants you to be holy. If you live a holy life, you can live a very happy life. God's not really, really super concerned about our happiness. He's really, really super concerned about our holiness. What are we willing to sacrifice? Well, I'll give him that, but, you know, I didn't much care for that anyway. But I, this over here, I, I can't give that up. I really like that. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's not even a sinful thing. But if, I, if I'm not willing to give it up for the Lord, maybe that's become an idol in my life. Maybe it's something that is my pet sin, though. Hey, hey, you just stay in there and stay quiet. Lord, you can have everything else, but I've got my little pet sin here. 
This, this, y'all don't know about my pets. But I'm not giving that up. I'll give everything else up. I'm not, what are we willing to give up? Paul said, I, I, I give up everything. I counted all loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. Number four, we see Paul's passion. You see his passion for the ministry, for, for the mission that God had given him. And we see it in Philippians 4 there. I'm going to just jump back and catch the very last part of verse 8. He says, that I may gain Christ. So he's talking about Christ here. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now here in verse 12, we're going to see his passion. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And he says again, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, he didn't let past failures hinder him. Folks, most of the struggles we have in life are because we're holding on to something that happened when I was 5 or 8 or 10 or 12 or 18 or 25 or last week. It's failures from my past or it's hurts from my past. It's hang-ups from my past. The past is in the past. Forgive it, let it go, give it to God, and move on. Now you go, well, preacher, that's real easy to say. Uh, it's, real, it's real easy to say, you're right. And maybe it's not the easiest thing to do. But it's not as hard as we think it is. But it requires us getting before God and getting those things out to God and giving them to God and taking my hands off of them and letting it go. But we like to hold on to it. We like a lot of times to have an excuse for where we're at in life. We like to have an excuse for why I can't be more committed to Christ. Well, you just don't know what they did to me. You just don't know what they said in that church. You don't know. You're right, I don't, but God knows. And there's forgiveness and there's letting things go. Man, I, I should have brought this video. I watched a video this weekend. This man, they're, they're interviewing this man. He was shot point blank in the face. His, his head is caved in here. He lost his right eye. His head is caved in. His left eye is, he has very little vision in his left eye. Messed up his mouth and so and he can't breathe out of his nose, any of that. And they, they're talking to him about what happened. And they get down to it and the guy says, well, hey, do you have any bitterness? You angry toward the, the guy that did it? They said, do you know who did it? He said, no, I don't know. We don't, never, never found out who did it. Don't know why they did it. He said, I'm just standing at the bus stop. Next thing I know, a guy points a gun in my face and boom, that's all I remember. And I wake up in the hospital, you know, and they ask him, said, oh, well, are you angry? Are you, are you upset? Are you mad at that person? Are you, are you bitter with them or whatever? He goes, what good would that do? What good would that do? Why, why, why would I be mad? He said, he said man, I, I look around and there's a lot of bad people in, in life. He said, but there's a lot of good people in life. He said, I go down the street and people call me monster. 
People call me whatever. They say, there's a lot of bad people out there. He said, but there's a lot of good people. He says, like you, that are friendly, that are talking to me. And, and, and he says, but if you don't let it go, he said, you just got to forget it. He said, and if you forgive it, you can forget it. It's true, folks. When you don't dwell on it all the time, it goes away. Past failures didn't hinder Paul. Past successes didn't hinder Paul. He wasn't hindered by the things he had done in the past. Boy, I was so good at that. Man, I was the best at that. You know, I want a gold medal in that. Let me tell you about it. He didn't let those things in the past, the failures or the successes hindered. Here's what he did. He pressed on for what God had for him. He, he might say it this way. I now want what God wants for me, uh, of me, and from me. That's what I want. I want what God wants in my life. That's a great place to be. That's the passion that we ought to have. How passionate am I in my walk with Christ? Paul was passionate. Paul wanted everything that God had for him. He wanted to pursue that with all that he had. He said, I want that. I want that in my life. How passionate am I about that, about my walk with Christ? How passionate am I about pursuing all that God has for me, all that God wants me to do? How passionate am I about that? Number five, Paul's burden for souls. Romans chapter nine, if you want to turn to Romans chapter nine, we're going to see Paul's burden for souls. Romans chapter nine, verse one through four, he says, actually verse one through three, he says, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness of the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continue grief in my heart. Now listen what he says here, his burden for the lost. He said, for I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren. Paul says this, he was willing to give his very soul to save his countrymen. Now that's a burden for the lost. why maybe that's why Paul is the greatest Christian that ever lived. I, I don't have that burden that way. If there's somebody in this room, man, I'll do anything I can to help you come to Christ. I don't know that I'm going to lay down my soul. I don't know that I'd be willing to lay down my soul. I love my kids. I'll take a bullet in this life for them. But I don't know I'm going to give up my eternal soul for their salvation. I don't know. They have a choice, right? I want them to hear the gospel and make that choice. This is the burden that Paul had. Maybe it's a burden I need to more have. Paul says in Romans 10, verse 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is this, that they might be saved. Paul had a burden for lost people. He had a burden for souls. We see God was focused on lost souls. He was focused on those who were lost. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. So Paul's, Paul's on a mission. He has a burden for souls that, that, because that's what God's burden was. When Jesus came and we follow the life of Jesus, we see he was focused on those who were lost. Mark chapter 6, verse 34, he says, And Jesus uh, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. He was burdened for those that, that, that were lost. In Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
God was concerned with lost souls. Jesus was concerned with lost souls. We see the burden Paul had, but the early church was focused on those who were lost. Warren Wiersbe wrote, he said, the Christians you meet in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for service as usual, in quotes. He said, their Christian faith was a day-to-day reality, not a once a week routine. Why? Because the risen Christ was a living reality to them and his resurrection power was at work in their lives through the spirit. And we see it in Acts chapter 2 verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Daily. Because they were out doing what God had called them to do. Chapter 5 verse 42. And daily in the temple and every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It wasn't Sunday morning. It wasn't even Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It was every day and everything they did. They lived out their faith. They were witnessing and preaching and teaching Jesus. Acts 1.8. First part of Acts 1, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 8, 1. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So these believers had been scattered and they're all over Judea and Samaria. And, and then in Acts 8, 4, he says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. The Lord allowed the persecution to get the Christians out from being huddled up there together, get them out there, and what they do? They went out passionately witnessing. What were they doing in Jerusalem? They were passionately witnessing. They were sharing their faith. That's why there was persecution. If they had been hiding in a closet somewhere not doing anything, there wouldn't have been any persecution. But they were, they were out winning people to Jesus, and, and the Pharisees didn't like it. The religious people didn't like it. Let's persecute them. Let's persecute the church. And they scattered. They went everywhere, and now God's using them everywhere. As they go out and they preach the gospel, they cared about souls. The early believers were actively evangelizing. The church was reaching their world for Christ. They clearly understood the imperative and the importance and the urgency of soul winning. Old preachers were focused on those who were lost. Charles Finney wept at the thought of people facing a Christless eternity. A.B. Simpson agonized in prayer over the nations where Jesus Christ was not exalted. Hudson Taylor had nightmares about millions tumbling into the chasm of hell. You ever had a nightmare about folks going to hell? He was so burdened. That his dreams, he was consumed even in his dreams and saw millions going over the chasm into hell. Charles Kalman, a missionary to Japan, said, by the, by the help of God, they shall hear if it cost every drop of my life's blood. Here I am, Lord, send me, send me. The constant prayer of George Whitefield was, give me souls or I die. And revival came to Scotland because of the cry of John Knox, who said, give me Scotland or I die. Do we care this much? Do we care at all? Charles Spurgeon, speaking to the church, said this. As Rachel cried, give me children or I die. So may none of you be content to be barren in the household of God. He said, cry and sigh until you have scratched Uh, I'm sorry, until you have snatched some brand from the burning and have brought at least one sinner to Jesus Christ. That was Spurgeon. He said, church, every one of us should have a burden to win at least one person to Christ. But it all comes down to heart. 
Do we have a burden for lost souls? We ought to, you know, in a, in a, in a day where we understand, we talk about this coronavirus, this, uh, we talk about that and then the disease of COVID-19. We understand the seriousness of that. Oh, that God might infect us with the gospel virus and with the disease of evangelism. You know, if we ever got that, that disease of evangelism, we ever caught that, we ever got it, and we, we just get out here and we understand the importance of sharing the gospel, and we have a passion for sharing the gospel, and we get a double dose of that, we don't want a vaccine against it. We don't, wanna, we don't ever want a cure of that. Have you ever got a taste of that, of, of being an evangelist and going out evangelizing, winning the lost? Paul had a burden. We all should have a burden. And number six, we find Paul's commission. But it's not just Paul's commission, it's our commission. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go you therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Folks, that is not just for Paul. That's not a commission given to just the believers who were standing there when the Lord ascended back into heaven. It wasn't a commission given to only those who are called to be preachers or missionaries. It wasn't a commission given to only those who are going to be Sunday school teachers. This is a commission given to every born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our commission. This is for us. And he says, go. And I've heard it translated, you know, as you are going, as you are living your life, everything that we're about, everything we're doing, wherever he calls us, whatever we do, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And I'm going to give you one great commission fact. One great commission fact. You cannot make a disciple without first making a convert. Salvation is not the end. It is the beginning. We are to make disciples. But folks, if we're going to make disciples, we got to first go out and make a convert. There has to be conversion, but that's just the beginning. That's just the start of it. But we're to go out and win folks to the Lord. Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and to all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is to us, folks. John 20, 21, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Our job is to go and to tell, regardless of where we are. There's a man named Alex Mitala. He's an African church planter who oversees a fellowship of more than 18,000 local churches. I can't imagine. And this is what he said. Every believer must be a soul winner. Every believer is empowered according to the Bible. God calls people to serve in different ways. But whether they are businessmen, a farmer, or a musician, a believer has to be a soul winner. God calls all of his children to soul winning. And to not do so, folks, I mean, just simply put, is sin. If we not be about the work he's called us to. So if we're not carrying out the gospel to those who don't know Christ... Or if we're not even outward focused in, in, in the way that we do things, in the way that we look at our faith, 
we're guilty of four things, and we'll look at these quickly. Number one is disobedience to the main command that Jesus Christ gave us. Jesus Christ did not give us a command to go out and just live really good lives so other people could see what a really good person you are. He told us to go out and make disciples, to win them to Christ. And, and so if we're not following the Great Commission, Acts, I mean, uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Mark 16, 15, you know, it, it, when we're not telling others about Jesus, we're, dis, we're disobeying the command God's given us. So there's a disobedience to the main command of Jesus Christ. When we're not soul winning, number two, we, lack, we show a lack of love for Jesus. John 14, uh, verse 23 and 24, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not, is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So the measure of our love for Jesus is whether or not we do what he said. We're being disobedient when we don't obey the Great Commission, but we're showing a lack of love when we don't do what God has commanded us to do, when we're not doing what he's commanded us to do. Number three, we're not following Christ. Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, follow me, and I'll just make you a good person. He said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's what happens when we follow Jesus. I mean, you could think of any number of examples of things that we get involved with, and, and all of a sudden, it's the greatest thing ever, and we want everybody else involved. Right? So... You know, Blockbuster came out. Young people go, what? Redbox. Redbox came out. All right? Redbox came out, and everybody said, oh, man, you got to try Redbox. You, know, you can go there, and you can get any movie. You can reserve it on your phone, and then you just go up there, and it's already there. You could have already paid for it. You just go and push in your, put your card in, and it puts out the movie. You know, we used to have to go to, to Blockbuster and walk around and look and look and look and look and look and look and look. And, I mean, and, and, and you never find, I mean, it was just terrible. And it stunk. I saw a, I saw a thing, shut up. there was a candle, and it was a Blockbuster-scented candle. I thought that was funny. If you've ever been in a Blockbuster, you understand why that's funny, because they had a distinct smell. But we get into something new, and all of a sudden, man, we want to tell everybody. Or if you go and meet somebody, you, you met somebody, you want to tell everybody. You tell it all. We've met Jesus Christ. We're a follower of Jesus. We ought to want to go tell everybody about him. There shouldn't be anything that would hinder that. Number four, we're not abiding in Christ when we don't share the gospel. In John 15, verse 1, he said, I am the true vine. And so when we abide in him, we bear fruit. He has ordained us to, in verse 2, it says to bear fruit. Also in verse 2, it says to bear more fruit. And then in verse 8, it says to bear much fruit. And then verse 16 says, he has ordained that your fruit should remain. We are to abide in Christ. And when we abide in Christ, when we are close in close fellowship with him, folks, we're going to be about his work. We're going to be sharing our faith. So as we look at this, what we've seen this morning with, with Paul, we see the mission statement. He's become all things to all men that he might by all means win some. 
That's his mission statement is to win souls for Christ. We see his dedication to that mission. We saw his sacrifice to accomplish it. We saw his passion to fulfill God's calling in his life. We see the burden for lost souls. And then we see the commission that has been given not only to Paul, which drove everything Paul did. Paul gave him that commission. Paul took it serious. That became his mission in life is to go and make disciples, to win people to Christ. And this commission is given to every one of us. We go back and we look at Paul and we look at the, the, the Olympians that we've talked about this morning. Every medal ever won will remain here and uh, one day going to burn away. And every soul, every soul ever won will spend all eternity with God in heaven. The greatest thing we can do, folks, is win souls. It's the greatest work we can do as a believer is to go out and win souls. Now, I'm not saying that that's all we do. We are. What do we do in life? Everything we do in life is to bring glory to God. I am to live my life in a way that brings glory to God. If I'm not soul winning, I'm not bringing glory to God. I can be the greatest little Christian living in my little bubble, and not, I'm not touching anybody else out there, I can, and I'm in disobedience. I'm not right with God. It's about sharing our faith. We want to give it to everybody. We want to give it to everybody and share it with them. So I want you to do something this morning. Just where you're at right now. And Aaron, y'all can go ahead and make your way up here. I'm going to be done here in just a moment. But I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think of someone in your life right now that you are certain does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior by their own testimony, by the way they live their life, you've tried to talk to them, whatever it is. I want you to think of someone that in, that's in your life right now that you are certain does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Do you see them? Because I want you to have a mental picture. I want you to get a good picture of that person in your mind. Maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe somebody you work with. It may be a neighbor. But I want you to have them in mind. Now, with your eyes still closed, now you get a call. And this person has been in a horrific automobile accident. And they're lying in a hospital bed in a coma close to death. And now you're at their side. And you so desire to share the gospel with them. But it's too late. How does that feel? See, I want you to see that. I want you to think about that. I want you to feel that. Feel the the hopelessness of that. Feel the regret that I could have done something and I didn't do something. I want you to feel that pain. I want you to feel it. And then what I want you to do is go out of here today and do something about it so that you don't have to face a day like that for real. I want you to go out of here and share the gospel with everyone you can so that you may not have to feel that pain for them in real life at some time.
There's a hymn. There's a hymn that I thought of as I was singing this, as I was uh, preparing this. And if you know it, you can join me. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Stand with me if you would. Father, I don't know what you want to do in our hearts today, but you do. Lord, I have, as obediently as I know how, I've prayed and prepared and studied and preached this message this morning. And as Pastor Aaron prayed, even before we got started this morning, Lord, we knew that you had something that you wanted to do this morning that Aaron could not foresee, that Conrad could not foresee. Even, even each one of us, as we sit here, we could not have foreseen, Lord, what it is you want to do this morning in our hearts. But Father, I believe you're working. I know you're working. The only question is, are we listening? Are we listening to you? Are we listening to that still, small voice? Are we listening to the Holy Spirit as you press on our hearts, as you convict us, Lord, maybe of sin in our lives? And maybe that sin is a, a sin that has kept us from walking with you the way we need to. Maybe it's a sin that's kept me from being the witness that I need to be. And maybe it's a sin I need to get before you this morning, Lord. Maybe I need to get on my knees this morning and confess something that has kept me from being where I need to be with you. Maybe, maybe, Lord, the sin is just that I, in my own arrogance or in my own apathy, whatever it might be, Lord, I have not been a witness for you. I have the greatest gift ever given if I'm born again, and yet I'm not sharing it with others. How cruel would it be to have a, the cure for this coronavirus, for this COVID-19? I've got the cure and could give it to everybody if they want it and, and, and me not even offer it. We would call that wicked. We would say that person was evil. Yet we hold the truth. We hold the answers for eternal life. And often, Lord, we don't share it. Father, this morning there's one sitting here that doesn't know you as their Savior. I pray they'd step out and come down here and let me share with them from the scriptures how simple the gospel message is. The scriptures tell us that these things I have written to you that you might know that you have eternal life. Lord, you don't have, folks, you don't have to leave here this morning. Lord, you made it clear. We can know that we have eternal life. We don't have to guess or wonder or hope. We can know. So, Lord, if there's even one here that doesn't know your Savior, I pray today would be the day of salvation. But, Lord, for the rest of us this morning, Father, give us a burden for lost people. This is, this is not a game. It's an eternal truth. And these folks that are all around us here in Geneva, there are people we pass every day that are going to die one day. And if they don't know Christ, they're going to spend eternity in a devil's hell. And it's real. 
and we could do something about it. Father, give us a burden. And it starts with one. May it fuel and, and just move through our church like the wildfires that are raging all over our country. May it just burn through our church and may we develop this passion for winning souls. Give us a burden, Lord, for the people around us that don't know you. And whether they laugh or mock or whatever, Lord, who cares? We should desire to share the truth. Give us that burden, Lord. Father, I pray you'll just move in this time of invitation. As we think about what we've heard, Lord, I pray folks haven't heard me. I pray they've heard you, heard your word, and they're listening to your voice. Move now in this time of invitation. Father, we'll thank you and praise you, God, for what you do in Christ's name.